Well, I warned you the last time we were together that I might go off on um, one more, and that was uh, Jonathan. So I look back over there, all the stuff we had done. I cannot find a single time that we just focused on this story. And I've got, uh, we, we don't have outlines for all 30 years that I've been here. But um, I've got them for a lot of those. Yeah, something like 20, I think it is, or whatever it is. It might be more than that. And somewhere, nowhere in there did we ever cover just this. We covered it in aspects of, of other things, but never spent just the whole time on this. I was thinking that when we went through David, <clears throat> it would be there. But no, David picks up in chapter 16. <laughs> this is chapter 13 or 14. So we're going to spend the night on it and just take a look at this because it is really a neat story of faith and certainly something that the writer of Hebrews would have had in mind when he talked about being valiant in battle. I think he's one of the few people on the battlefield that day that was valiant in battle and surely turned the entire thing around. So if we can, let's pull up our Hebrews verses. Let's read them together and just go over them again. For what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. It does not. We are working on a new program for the for the screen here. Our old one is over 11 years old. We've been trying to find a new one. <laughs> Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And he would certainly fit in those last two categories. Um, we can stop on that one. That's pretty much what's going to be looking at our man Jonathan here. So we're going to go back into Samuel and look at the time when Jonathan was very valiant in battle, when everyone else was pretty much cowering away. In verse 14 of chapter 13, I'm going to pick up reading there. Oh, I didn't, I didn't have those. I have them in mind. Sorry about that. See, I thought there was another... I thought there was another section of scripture I needed to give you <laughs> so that you had it ahead of time. I gave you verse 5, but I didn't give you 14 and 15. Verse 14 is the end of a very famous story we all know. When Samuel decided, or he came to the sacrifice on the seventh day, and Saul ran out of patience and started the sacrifice without him. And of course, you know the rebuke that he got for that. And so I'm just going to pick up in the last verse of that in verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. I just brought that verse in because I want you to see that this story with Jonathan comes immediately after this, t- this time with Saul. And then verse 15. Then Samuel arose from, uh, arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. Now, do we have that map perhaps ready? Yes. All right. Pull up that map that I, uh, <laughs> that I asked you to bring. <laughs> what, what a night to have them test out all the, all the new stuff here, huh? We're doing the mic mesh. 
Mikmash one. We want to show you a few things. And um, uh, brother, brother Keith, you're my shopper. We're going to need sometime another another pointer. Another pointer. We don't have a pointer, and I don't like going up to the screen all the time to uh, point to it because then I'm covering it up. So we'll have to get ourselves another pointer there to to take care of that. But I want to show you some of the the things that have gone on here. So way over here is Mikmash. Now we did not cover this part of the story. But when Saul starts out, he is in Michmash, and his he has 2,000 troops, and Jonathan has 1,000. And a Jonathan, I believe, is in either Gilgal or Gibeah when he has his 1,000. But they are in Michmash when he has the 2,000 troops. That's how many he's got, he's got with them. By the time we come into this story... Saul and Jonathan have combined forces and they now have 600. So we went from 3,000 to 600. Now they had gone from Michmash and after all the, the thing had, uh, had gone on, verse 15, then Samuel rose and went up from Gilgal to Gabeah of Benjamin. So he's out over here in Gilgal and this is where all that stuff went on with, with Samuel. And so after Samuel leaves, he goes from Gilgal out to Gabeah. The Philistines had put their forces over at Michmash, where they had been originally. Now, bring up verse verse 5. I'm going to get into this a little bit sooner. Uh, Chapter 13 and verse 5. Pull that up. We're going to come back to this map here in just a minute. So if you can keep it around. (laughs) We'll we'll do that. But over here in verse 5, I want you to get a chance to see the size of the army for which they are up against. So verse, we'll get here in a minute. We're going to see in this that we have 30,000 chariots. 30,000 chariots. How many are with Saul? 600. No chariots. These are the, these are the forces that they have. They have 600 men in their army. The enemy has 30 thousand chariots. They have six thousand on horses. And then it talks about the foot soldiers that they have, and it says it's an innumerable innumerable number of men. They could not be counted. So Saul is going up against now originally he was going up against them with two thousand and a thousand. That's three thousand. He was going up against this this uh force. Oh, there we go. We even got it on the on the map. Nice. So the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of beth So that's now where Saul was originally is where the Philistines now are. And they're camped in there. And so they have gone from Gilgal instead of going back to Michmash they came over here to Gibeah and that's where they're going to set up the the battle they're going to they're going to fight from there so 600 men in Gibeah Jonathan is with Saul now Philistines at Michmash we got an area in between so verse 16 Saul Saul Jonathan his son and the people present with them with 600 people Remained in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned to the road to Ophrah, to the land of Shaul. I'm sorry, we're still staying on that map. 
Okay. <laughs> Can we go back and forth to it fairly easily? <laughs> Getting them to go through the go through the ringer on this. All right. So they're up here in Mi'kmaq. They're sending one force up here to the to the north in Ophrah. The second force that we're going to have listed is going to Upper Beth Horon, which is out there to the I believe that would be to the to the west. I think that would be. And then we're going over here. Here's the third one. It's going out here towards Beth Haven. These are the three forces that they're going to send out of the innumerable number that they have. So we've got 30,000, 6,000, and sand of the, as, a, as the sand of the shore. So if you took us and divided it up, and we said that 10,000 chariots went each direction, 2,000 horsemen went in each direction, and then we split up that multitude so that each are going... Uh, either way, any of those forces are going to outnumber... Saul and his 600 men by a lot. So, uh, so raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned to the road of, to Oprah, to the land of, of Shaul. Another company turned to the road of Beth Horon. And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. That is the area where Jonathan is going to attack. Now there were no, there was no blacksmith to be found. I like how he puts this. Not there were none. There was no blacksmith. Which means, folks, it wasn't that they were low in number. There was none. They had no blacksmiths to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords and spears. So they decided to control the swords and the spears that they would be able to do so that the blacksmith industry was not allowed. If you had a blacksmith, if you tried to open it up, you were targeted by the Philistines and they'd come over and take you out so that there was no blacksmith and so that no one would want to become a blacksmith in the land of Israel. If you wanted to get your stuff sharpened, you had to go all the way down to the land of Philistia and they would sharpen. Of course, they would charge you high rates so you had to make a big travel and they would uh, sharpen the things that you would want and they give you the list here. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his matok, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for sharpening was a was a uh, pim for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes to set all the points of the goads. No idea what all that means. It meant something to them. I didn't bother to try and take the time to, to look all that up. There was other details I think that were more important I was trying to spend my time on. But uh, I get the impression that it was expensive. More expensive than it should have been. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan his son. So you got 600 men, but no one has a sword or a spear. Now, the Word of God is very careful here. It does not say that there are no Weapons. It says there are no swords and spears. Now think of the other weapons that they had at their disposal. Bow and arrow is one. It does not say there is no bow and arrows. You don't need a blacksmith for a bow and arrow. Another one would be a sling, which is what David was proficient in, which is probably because there was no blacksmith. 
Remember when David comes up to Saul? I haven't tried these things. He doesn't have anything to practice with as far as a spear and a sword. So he can't be good at it. What he is good at is what he could find around there. You can always find rocks and you can find string and, and the stuff that you need to make up sling. So they're, they have the slings. They have the arrows. These are all long distance. They are not short range. They are long distance. What the Philistines have decided is long distance weapons will not conquer us. And that's, that philosophy is still true today. How many of you can remember some of the recent wars in which we outclass everyone in long distance uh, stuff, but until you get the boots on the ground, you can't win the war. And so we saw all those things during the, the Bush years and, and all the videos of the planes flying in and the things that were being destroyed and the uh, bunker-destroying bombs and they would go down into the ground and blow things up and we could just cause massive destruction from a distance and not have to put anybody in harm's way. But the only way that you can win is with boots on the ground. It was the same way back in their day. It's the same thing right now. You have got to win the hand-to-hand combat. If you don't win the hand-to-hand combat, you will not win the battle. So the only way to win the hand-to-hand combat is you need swords and you need spears. And they don't have any. So all they can do is throw some arrows from a long distance but you're not going to wipe them out with that. You have to be skilled at the, at the hand-to-hand combat. You have to have the ability to engage the enemy. And Israel couldn't do it. They had two swords. One Saul had and one Jonathan had because, of course, they are <laughs> the king and his son. Now, if Jonathan, this is just sort of a side note, if Jonathan is already in the army and battling at this rate, and David is where? He's in the field watching the sheep. His brothers are on the battlefield. But he is not. He's the youngest. Which would mean how much of an age difference is there between Jonathan and David? Seems to be a little, a bit of a significant difference between Jonathan. Jonathan is much older than, or at least is older than David. I don't know if that older is five years, ten years, but he is older than David is. So when they come together as friends, it's not as friends as we're both the same age. Hey, this is, this is cool. Uh, Jonathan is a, is a, an elder to, to some extent to, to David. So let's uh, continue on here. Where do we leave off at? We're 22. So it came battle on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. Now imagine this. If you're coming into battle, you originally had 3,000. A bunch of people are leaving because they're afraid. What? <laughs> you have nothing to go and fight with in a hand-to-hand battle. Everything is long distance. Got some archers. Can't even throw a spear. How would you feel going into battle with with no ability to defend yourself? Against chariots and against horsemen. Now spears is one of the biggest defense against horsemen. Because what you would do with a spear, you had some long spears. You had spears of all types of all types of distances. Short, long, throwing, holding, all sorts of things that you would do, but one of the things they would do for a cavalry charge is you would take a longer spear that had some weight to it and you would uh, stick it in the ground behind you and hold it there at a certain angle and it would hit the horse 
at a, you know, in the, in the chest and you would stand that horse up and you'd knock that horse, that horse would be, be down. And that's how you had to stop a cavalry charge. Now you've probably seen that in some of the movies. That's how they would come against that. But you need a spear if you're going to, going to battle that that way. And they didn't have any. So verse 23 says, and the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. So this sets our, our battle up as to what's going on. They're not going to be able to do any kind of hand-to-hand combat. combat. The armor described by Paul, remember Paul in Ephesians? He describes armor. What Paul describes in armor is all about close combat. The Romans have long-distance combat machinery. They also have close combat machinery. All that Paul discusses is what's used in close combat. Shields. Helmets, shoes, breastplates, belts, swords, and one piece that it's, uh, that he left off. If you've ever read Rick Renner's piece on that, he, uh, he spent some time on it. I think some other people have spent some time on it. That is Paul left off the spear, but he doesn't assign an, uh, an armament to the prayers, but prayers is plural, and spears for the Romans was plural. They had short, long, they had all kinds of different, different types of spears that they had. And that was probably the correlation that they had made there. But everything there is in close combat. One of the things we can take away from this, there's no bow and arrows. There's no um, catapults in the armor here. It's all close combat. The areas for which Satan battles is one is on the earth and the other is in the heavens. Remember when Daniel's request came, the first battle began in the heavens. And Michael came and helped out uh, Gabriel and so that the message was able to go on. And he came on down into the, uh, over there. It seems, if you'll notice in the Word of God, that most of the time that God uh, that we see that God has sent an answer to prayer, it comes by the hand of an angel. Angels are the one who bring it. We're not told... Uh, and all of them that angels are involved, but the ones that were told how the thing got here were told that angels were involved. It would seem that angels are very much involved, that God may have other means uh, of doing it, and sometimes we can just kind of think he beams everything down here to us. But it seems like he sends it all through the hands of of uh, angels. That would, uh, uh, have ever heard people going to heaven They said there's spare parts in heaven? Well, why in the world have spare parts in heaven if you just beam it down to, you know, just change it on the on the earth? I guess uh, maybe it's given to an angel and they bring, I don't know how he does it, but it seems that angels are involved. So when they are involved, they're coming through the heavens, which would be where they would be battling, and then down here on the earth. On the earth is where our spiritual warfare is at. We have no spiritual warfare authority in the heavens. That's where the angels battle. That is an angelic place. Now, there's a lot of Christians out there, at least some of them anyway, and they feel like we ought to be battling spiritual uh, principalities in the heavens. There is a battle that goes on there, but we are not told that we are involved. That's where angels are involved. Now, see, if Satan can get our focus off of the battle on the earth and into the battle in the heavens, then we are battling where we're not supposed to be, where angels are battling. And then who's left the battle down here? So you can see why the... He would like to do that. Get people to focus on the, on the wrong thing. Our armaments are for close combat, not long distance. 
And I think that's important to note that, that Paul did. And you will see that in this story, it's mentioned a couple of times that they didn't have any swords. Usually, whenever something's mentioned a couple of times, we're trying to get a point across. They went into battle without, without swords. And you really need to have those if you're going, going into this kind of battle. Without a sword, you're, you're kind of, kind of stuck. So they needed to have them. They didn't have them. We are given the, one of the weapons we have in the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. You need to have a sword of the Spirit in order to win in hand-to-hand combat. Long range isn't going to cut it in spiritual warfare, folks. David used his sling really well, but when he won the battle, what did he win it with? He won it with a sword. It just wasn't in his hand. He went and took the, the enemy's sword and used it. I heard, uh, well, I want to make this, this, uh, this thing here for you. Whenever, whenever you are, are, are to combat something in battle, you, you are supposed to use the sword. There's, there's a sword that is there. Because the thing that is, that we are fighting, if you are involved in hand-to-hand combat, the thing that you are fighting is the thing that wants to destroy you, wants to kill you. So the, the sword and the shield are what you're using to defend yourself. God didn't expect you to go into that battle without proper armament. And so when we have the shield to stop things and the sword to, to launch the offensive attack, that, uh, that helps us to stay out of contact with the thing that wants to do us harm. There's a whole lot of Christians that want to go into battle, but they're not having a, uh, a weapon between them and the, and the other thing. Another way to put it, if you just want to get it some, in somewhere that we're, we're able to, to do things, when we fix things around our house, most of the time that we fix things, especially if we're going to fix things that have some danger to them, we have tools in our hands. If you were going to be an electrician and fix electrical things, you would have pliers, you would have voltage meters, you would have things that you would use that would be in place of you touching hot things so that you didn't get get shocked shocked back on that. If you wanted to um, uh, cut wood, instead of using your hands to cut the wood, you might get hurt by that. You use a tool. The tool is useless without you picking it up. You have to pick up the tool and use the tool against the thing. And in the same way, we have that same battle going on with, with us against the things of, that, that Satan throws against us. We are not made to combat them directly. We are made to have a tool in our hand. We are made to have a sword in our hand. When sickness and disease comes against us to try and kill us, we have a sword in our hand to come against it. But a lot of Christians, they don't get the sword. I know scripture, well, so-and-so used this script, I'll just use this. But they haven't become adept at using the sword. They have no confidence in using the sword. David doesn't go into battle with the sword because he has no confidence in it because he has no sword to play with, to practice with, to use. So he goes into battle with the only thing that he has at his disposal. It's not ideal. But it's all that he's got. But once he knocks out the enemy, then he can go up and get his sword and finish off the, finish off the battle. So the sword, of course, the way Paul puts it, it's the sword of the Spirit. It's the rhema word of God. It's the spoken word of God. That we have to take what the, the word of God that we know in us and we gotta speak it out against the thing that we're coming against. It's a sword. 
And you don't just come against it one time. Just because you're in battle, that you swing that sword one time doesn't mean you won the battle. You got to keep going in there and swinging it again and swinging it again and swinging it again. And you keep coming in. But you've gotten adept with the sword of the Spirit. I've got this thing down. I know what this word is saying to me. I know how this word comes about this, this thing. You can listen to some people use a, uh, the sword of the Spirit, a scripture, against something. You say, how, do you even have any understanding as to what that scripture means? I listen to, you probably have over the last number of years, politicians who have tried to use scripture. I mean, it's laughable. It's like you have no idea what that scripture is using. You just think it, it benefits whatever it is you're doing at the time, and so you quote it. But they have no idea what it is. We got to get in. We got to know what the word is. I got to know how this is being used and get out there and use it. I heard um, one person, Pastor, uh, uh, I, I'm hesitant to call him a friend. I'll say this. He was someone who posed as a friend. Is that clear, clear enough for you? <laughs> Um, and we had some battles over the things of healing because we were both in the same uh, church at the time. And we had some battles over that. And he, in the, the, the verse in Peter that talked about being healed, his idea on that verse was it was talking about spiritual healing. You've been healed spiritually. It's garbage. We are not healed spiritually. We are reborn. You died and you became reborn. That's not healed. <laughs> there is no healing of your spirit. The healing is for your body. But you see, his confusion on that, he taught other people the same confusion so that they had a hard time using that verse. In fact, now they became unsure about that verse and other verses and didn't know how to use it. So you became un- uncertain in it. we got to be adept at using the sword. i got to know what that word says. Just because we practice with the sword doesn't mean that you quit. You keep going at it. You keep pulling out that sword. Every day you keep practicing with it. You keep pulling that out and using that sword. I go over what the Word of God says. I go over it. I go over it. I go over it. I am convinced that what the Word of God says is true. You listen to some people. Well, I hope this is true. Well, I think this works this way. That's not how you're going to go into battle and win. So let's pick up here at uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened. One day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. I love how this starts out. Now it happened one day. It just happened. One day, you know, you wait. We got this huge battle about to take place. Now it happened one day. So this may not have been the first day that they got there. This may not have been the second day. I don't know what day it was, but it just happened one day. They're all gathered around and getting ready for, for battle. The Philistines have gone off in this, this area. One went north, one went east, one went west. And they're down there in the south area. And so it just happened one day that Jonathan turns to his armor bearer. And he said, come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Just another day. But because of what somebody did in faith, that day became a, an historic day. 
a great day. How many days have we woken up and it just seems, well, this is just another day? But it can be a historic day if we do something in faith. It can, it can be a day that changes the direction of our life if we do something in faith. This is what it was for Jonathan. Again, let's look what he says. Come, let us go to the other side, to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Now, what awaits them on the other side at the Philistines' garrison? Just take a look at the numbers. We just divided them in thirds. We're looking at probably 10,000 of the 30,000 chariots. We're looking at probably 2,000 of the 6,000 horsemen. And a third of the multitude that was described as the sand of the sea. Just, just sand, just a third of them. And how many are going? Two. Two people out of the 600. And he doesn't tell anybody. He doesn't tell his dad. Now his dad's starting to get a little nuts. And that may be why he didn't tell his dad. It seems that Jonathan has a different relationship with his dad than anyone else does. And he can, um, he can say some stuff and get away with it. He can cut to the core of the matter with his, with his father and, and, um, and break. You'll see that not in the part of the story we're going to get into, but in the part that we left off. If you kept on reading, you'll find out that he deals with his dad uh, pretty sternly and, uh, does, uh, has a uh, good success in it too. But uh, that's for another, another time. So what ordinary days in your life remained ordinary is what I put in your outline. They could have become a great day. But how many days have we had that have just remained ordinary? They started ordinary and they remained that way. And we bypassed whatever it was that we could have done. You see, right now, they had 6,000 people. I'm sorry, they had... 2,000 and 1,000. They had, they had a 3,000 people. Now they have 600. So the remainder of those people are out in hiding. Have gone home. Done different things. They're, they're, uh, they're away from the, away from the battle. The 600 they got don't even have swords. So he heads off with his armor bearer. How many swords do they have? They have one. Because his dad's got the other. He's not giving it up. I mean, he might if he told him, hey, we're going to go over here and do this. All right, here, take my sword. But he didn't tell him. So he didn't get the sword. Saul's not giving up the sword. How can a king give up his sword? Verse 2. And Saul, who is the king, was sitting in the outskirts of Gavia under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. So Jonathan is going... And Saul is sitting. The two people who have swords. One picked it up and went out to battle. And one sat down under a tree. I imagine that's because the sun was out. Didn't want to get the sun beating down on them. Sat under a tree. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. Now, those who, who sit by and watch what's going on around them are not getting involved. These are usually the people that are also saying, why is all this happening to me? 
<laughs> Whatever are we going to do now? Why is the Lord not? And they'll list the different things. Why isn't God doing these things? These are the people that are sitting by. They're pointing out. Why isn't this going on? Why aren't other people? Why is, and why, 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 why? Jonathan doesn't have time to ask why. What's he doing? We're going. Let's go into battle. Those who lead into battles don't have time or interest in complaining or questioning. Got no point with that. Take of all the, the, the great generals that have um, led us in the battle. How did they handle complaints? Uh, General MacArthur, he's one. <laughs> he, he was a tough guy. Boy, I, whew. I, I don't think anybody had the guts to complain around him. He was, he was something. Now, we've had some wimpy generals, but we've had some real tough ones too. Some real good ones. Verse 3. Ahijah, the, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. Remember Ichabod? Ichabod was born when Hophni and Phineas, Phineas died and when Eli died. Remember Eli the priest? The day that they died, he was born. And so they, they called him the glorious departing, Ichabod. And the priesthood was being taken from the house of Eli. It had not gone yet, but it was going to be taken from the house of Eli and it was going to go to another. God said so because Eli had not dealt with the things that he was supposed to deal with. So here we have Ichabod mentioned again and his brother, uh, well, he just the son of his brother. So that's still in Eli's line. So the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. He didn't tell. He snuck out. No one knew it. How often does that happen that no one knows where somebody went? Usually it seems that somebody... I mean, Jonathan's prominent. You think, oh, Jonathan's here. I mean, Maybe it was just some peon in the army, didn't have a sword. We wouldn't be thinking too much. But Jonathan's got a sword. It's really easy to pick out. Even if you didn't know his face, well, he's got a sword. It's not Saul, so it must be. He gets out of, out of the uh, camp. I'm going to be ready for that other picture here in just a minute. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sena. <clears throat> the front one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other one, the other southward opposite Gibeah. So if we can pull that picture up, I want you to get a chance to, to, to look at the terrain that was there. There are different places where this, this could have been. This is one of the sections, one of the pictures I had for it. Uh, one would be, uh, Let's see. Bozes would, I believe, is the one on the right. Because it would, uh, the name of the one was Bozes, the name of the other was Sena. The front of the, of one faced northward opposite Michmash. So this one is facing northward, facing north going towards Michmash. This one is, is facing to the south. So anyway, this is, this is some of the terrain. He would have been down here in this valley area. And then look to, to go up. 
So that's where we would go. Now it says that um, I'm probably skipping skipping ahead on here, but it's going to say that he's going to climb on his hands and knees. Now I want you to see this because if you're going to climb up here, are you climbing up here on your hands and knees? No. Over here, maybe. So he's climbing up on the spot that you can get there, hands and knees. Not a place where you need a rope. Some of the times we see the pictures in this, it looks like he's come, he's scaling a wall. And you're thinking when he comes up over that, he's going to get his head chopped off as soon as he comes, comes up on it. He's climbing on his hands and knees. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's going to probably wear you down a bit because it's, it's not, it's not small. We're not just talking about a little hill that you can get over in, you know, in two or three minutes. This is going to take some, some, uh, some climbing to get up there. No matter which of the areas that, and you can see that this keeps on going all the way on down. Uh, but some, they have one particular place in mind where this rock is that, uh, that was there. Let's go on and see what's, what happens here in verse six. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Before they were the Philistines, now they're the uncircumcised. Common name that they use for the, for the Philistines. Even though many, just about all nations that were not uh, Israelites, we're uncircumcised. But we refer to the Philistines more often that way than any other. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. That's a famous statement. This is the place where it comes from. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you, according to your heart. So what an armor bearer. If you want to go up there against all those people, just the two of us, I'm with you. Now, Jonathan believes that the Lord can bring about a miracle. It doesn't seem like he's totally sure if he, if he wants to, or maybe he's just thinking, does he want to use me? Doesn't seem like he's completely sure about that, but he, he knows the Lord can do it. He never looks at himself as being, well, I am so good at what I do. He doesn't, Ever, ever seemed to elevate himself. And he sure doesn't go out here for any glory for himself. You're going to see that in some of his statements here. Now they're already outnumbered by a superior force who has better arm, armaments than they do. And he just reduced their number even more. <laughs> so instead of taking an innumerable amount of army, 6,000 horses, uh, horsemen, and 30,000 chariots, <clears throat> what are you going to use to fight against a chariot? like uh you know guys with guns going up against tanks you don't have anything to, to take them out verse 8 then jonathan said very well let us cross over to these men and we will he calls them men there <laughs> that's an upgrade i would think <clears throat> and we will show ourselves to them so again picture that that he's they're going to come out into the valley and they're going to show themselves to him. So they're going to be up here in the high ground. And they're going to be looking down on these guys. And they're going to look pretty small. I don't know that they're going to be able to tell that they're Jonathan. That he's Jonathan. He's just going to see he's an Israelite. He came on out. If they say thus to us, wait until we come to you. Then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. 
But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. Now, this is why I spent most of my time focusing on and trying to get some things figured out and trying to read all the historical accounts that I could and, and to dig into this. What in the world is going on here? Because some, sometimes I read this and it looks like if they come down to us here, we'll beat them here. If we say come up there, we're going to go up there and beat them. But it seems to be that, you know, this, this is Israel's territory. It seems to be that Jonathan has either spotted something or because he, he knows this area, he knows something about this particular rock area. And it would seem like that he has spotted a place where he can go and neutralize their vast numbers. And so he says, I either I know this is there, or on while he's standing there, he has spotted something that he can I don't know which way that is. I would sort of think that it's, he he knows it from being in his area. That would be the place I would uh, default to, but I don't know. It may be that he has this, it came to mind. I know this is here. I'm going to go out there. Father God, if you are in this, then have them tell us to come up and I'll go up to that spot that you reminded me of and I'll know that you're going to deliver us into that spot. If they say we'll come down to you, then I'll know that your hand is not in this and we'll, we'll stay here. We won't go into the battle. That's how I read it. I didn't get there quickly. It took a little bit of time of going through all the different stuff. And that's where I ended up at. I'm not telling you, you know, that we get up to heaven, that uh, you can tell Jonathan what happened. Jonathan will tell us what happened. He can tell us what's going on. Because this is, this is quite a story. But that's, that's where we came to. If they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has delivered them into our hand. And this will be a sign to us. Not a sign that God will work. Not a sign that God wants to deliver us from the Philistines. This is a sign that I'm following after what God has said. He's not looking for an ephod. He's not looking for a priest. He's looking for God to, to speak to me now. Now I'm following what's, what's coming up in my spirit, so to speak. I'm following the leading that's coming from the inside. I feel like you're telling me to go into this battle. If that's so, that's the place where we can do this. Because down there in the ground, maybe the chariots can take effect. Where, where he is going to lead them, the chariots are neutralized. They can't even use them. They can't even bring them in. So basically where he's going, the chariots will not be able to fight. I don't even know if he can get the horses into where he's going to go into this thing. So he's going to be basically facing just the, just the men. But again, they got more men than he, than he does. And they got more swords. Verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden. So they know that they've gone into hiding and they're afraid. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. Now before, the Lord will deliver them in, the, in our hand. Never does he ever say, my hand. Never does he ever look for glory for himself. He leaves the group without telling them, I'm going to show you guys what you ought to be doing. Doesn't, doesn't do any of that. He sneaks out. He says to his servant, the Lord will deliver him into 
our hand. We're going into this together. And then he goes into the battle. It's just the two of them going into battle. And he says, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. This is already done. Verse 13, And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. As he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. Now, I would have liked a whole lot more detail on what was happening there and drop some of the detail of what was happening in other places. There's, that's where you should have spent your time. I wanted to, what's going on here? So, I guess we only have two people who were here for this battle because the rest of them were dead. Only two people. So one or both of those people came back with a story. What did they tell? What did the story did they tell? Well, yeah, we went up there and uh, we we killed a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what? How did you do it? Oh, it's not important. Just a bunch of you know, Lord delivered them into our hand, and and uh, he he's not telling the details. That's why it's not getting written down because Jonathan doesn't come down and say this is what I did. It's 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 unknown because Jonathan is not out for any glory. He doesn't want it. He doesn't care for it. It's amazing. The character of this guy is just incredible. To think that he was in line after Saul, and if Saul hadn't messed up, Jonathan would have been... What kind of a kingdom... What would have happened? Whew. I'm not saying that David wasn't a good, good next choice, but man, Jonathan was just off the charts good. Just never got to, to see that one. So verse 14, the first slaughter... <laughs> the first, which means there are more, which Jonathan and Zara River made was about 20 men within a, about half an acre of land. So think about this. We've got a number of people we can't even count divided by one third. And I don't, I don't, I have no idea what kind of numbers you put on there because you can count a hundred thousand people. We have seen many times they've counted an army of a hundred thousand people. They have counted an army of 200,000 people. They have counted armies of 300,000 people. But this one, they say they can't count. So how much can it be? So let's just take a number. I just want to put some kind of number on this. This number is going to be low. But say that there were 300,000, which is, I think, one of the higher numbers of uh, people, armies that we've had counted. Maybe if you go through, you can find 500,000. We're just going to go with 300,000 because that divides easily by three. If we divide that by three, let's just say they had 100,000 in this force. 100,000. How many died? 20. Out of 100,000. 20. Is that a significant loss? It's not a significant loss at all. 20. And it says the first slaughter which these two made. So apparently they made some other slaughters. I'm not talking about the slaughters that the rest of the Israelites were involved with. This is the first slaughter that these two did. It was about 20 men. Now notice this. How hard is it to count to 20? It is not hard at all, is it? I mean, how many times are we given that, you know, 150 people died? A, hundred, a thousand people died, whatever my word. And we're given specific numbers, and here, about 20. 
About 20. Which means, who didn't keep accurate count? <laughs> Jonathan. Jonathan. How many died in that first battle? I don't know, somewhere around 20. I don't know. It's, it could have been, it could have been 40. It could have been 30. We don't know. He asked ah, somewhere around 20. Cause he just wasn't counting. Isn't that amazing? Hmm. So the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor were made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. Half an acre of land. How many of uh, have a single home that sits on about a half acre? All right. Uh, Brother Keith says that you have about a half acre. Picture your yard. That's where it happened. About a half acre. That's not a big space. Why is it confined to a half acre, you wonder? Because of the rock formations where they at, there was a particular area that had a clearing and that's where he went up to and that's where they met him. And he knew down in that section they couldn't get chariots, they couldn't get horsemen and all that he killed was 20 men. About 20 men. It says that he and his armor bearer killed him. That Jonathan would take them on and then his armor bearer would slay him. So, he's not giving you the details. I'm going to give you some of the details. This is probably what happened. When Jonathan came upon the first one, he killed him with the sword. Which left a sword. For which his armor bearer picked up the sword of the first guy that he killed. From that point on, Jonathan doesn't have to kill him. I just got to get them so that they can't do us any harm. So he just doesn't look to try and finish them off. I just want to get them so they can't defend themselves, can't come after us anymore. If we get them on the ground, if I cut off their arm with the uh, that holds the sword, if I uh, get them so that they're writhing on the ground, this armor bearer can come up from behind me and he can finish them off. I don't have to worry about finishing them off. He's going to finish them off. I just look, look to get them on the ground. So that's how the battle's going out. Jonathan is just looking to do that. He's got his armor bearer back there. He's got a sword now. And they just killed about 20 guys, which means they got some swords now for the other people. I don't know that they go and gather them all up or hand them out. They're probably just laying there on the ground, whatever it might be. But this is what's going Now they got 20. That 20, when they people are up a, a little higher ground from where they are, because it's an isolated area of about a half acre. We're not looking at a half acre of our big area of space. Somehow, this area is isolated and it's about a half acre and this is where this first battle goes on. Verse 15. And there was trembling in the camp. That's not the camp of Israel. That's the camp of the Philistines. They're trembling in the camp because 20 guys just died. There was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. Now, they had all this army, but beside the army, they also had people that followed. These were people who took care of the things that the armies needed. When we have armies to go around, you have, uh, you just, you just think of, you know, how many watch MASH? MASH, you had the medics, you had the nurses, you had uh, all those people. Then you had the food service people. You have, you have a lot of other people that are not warriors that have to follow along to take care of all the things for the warriors so they can go out in the battle. So that's what probably the people are. 
Um, we don't make the warriors go and fetch the water. We have people that fetch the water for them. We don't make them cook their meals. We don't make them wash the dishes. We have other people that do all this for them. They don't have to do their laundry. Other people are doing that because these are the guys that are fighting. And we want to take care of them and get them just focused on that. So you got other people that come along for that. So where there's trembling in the camp, that's the soldiers, in the field, and among all the people. So in the field is the people that were not in the camp. They were out in the battlefield. They were watching. They were trembling. Among the people, the garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. So Jonathan goes up, starts this battle. Twenty people died. Everybody becomes afraid and the earthquakes. Now, if you're going to have an earthquake to hit just at this time, whose hand is in on that? We see many times that God has caused an earthquake. And this would be a time that God has caused an earthquake. And that made them more afraid. Now, without Jonathan going out, does the earthquake? Do the people come into fear? No. It's all because one person said, come on, let's go. Let's not sit back over here. Let's go after the battle. For the Lord can deliver by many or by few. I only got one sword. They got a whole mess of them. That's all right. We're going to go. And he had that sword. Now the watchman of Saul. Saul's sitting under the tree. He's not even watching. He's got people to watch for him. So Saul is basically useless. Now think about this. Saul has been picked for these battles. And he showed himself to be pretty admirable in the, in the beginning of the first battle that we, we saw that he was in. And now he's sitting around. He's not even watching. Other people are watching. So the watchmen of Saul and Gabeah of Benjamin looked and there was the multitude melting away. Now, if you're up there and I guess on a high spot and you're looking out there and you see all them Philistines and all of a sudden you see them just kind of going, just disappearing. Just kind of going, where, where are they going? What, what's happening to them? They're all, they're all falling down. They're, this, this is, this is, I don't understand what's going on. Something's happening over there and they're losing people. Because we're not talking about them, they're not running away. Don't read this as running away. It doesn't say they're running away. It says melting away. If you see a huge multitude of people and all of a sudden you start seeing them disappear. But they're not going anywhere. How else would you describe it? I mean, it was just this mass and now all of a sudden it's just kind of shrinking and getting smaller. I think it's a good way to describe it. It's melting away. Now the watchman of Saul and Gabeah Benjamin looked and there was the multitude melting away. And they went here and there. So they're melting away. And some of the ones that are still standing, they're going this way, going this way, going, going all kinds of different directions. That's not the order that we saw them in before. 
Then Saul said to the people who went, who were with him, call the roll and see who has going out, going out from us. Somebody, he's thinking, somebody has gone out from us and has started something. Who did it? So, <laughs> what is wrong with Saul? I don't, your enemy is over there. They are melting away. They are in, they are suddenly in disorder. And you want to take inventory of who's here. Well, if you were in, the, in this battle, what would you want to do right now? Hey, let's go, let's go fight. <laughs> let's take advantage of what, no, no, no. I want to find out who did it. What a dope this guy is. I mean, he is really becoming stupid. That is not what you do when the battle is going on. Take inventory. Who's, who's here? We got to count, we only have 600 guys. We got to count 600 people to see who's not here. And so they go through them all and they count them and they say, uh, looks like Jonathan and his armor bearer were, were missing them. We got everybody else. Nobody else is left. Those are the only two that are not here. And when they called the roll, surprisingly, why is that word put in there? Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Of all the people we would have thought, that's not the one we would have thought would have gone. Well, who's got swords? <laughs> Verse 18, And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now what happened when, while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So, beside melting away, there was a noise that was coming. While that noise is going on, he's counting the people. He's staying right where he's at. Let's count the people and see who's gone. Noise is continuing to increase. Chaos is breaking out in the camp of there. And Saul is still counting. And Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. This might be blind to you what's going on here. <clears throat> what he's doing is he's called the priest. Remember what was said in the beginning of the story? The priest was wearing the ephod. The ephod is what they used to seek after God. They didn't have God in their spirit to, uh, to bear witness with them. And so the ephod is what they used. It was basically a yes or a no answer. That's all you would get from the ephod. Yes or no. Should we go? Yes. Will we succeed? Yes. That, that's all you're going to get. And that's all that had happened in the past. You're going to get a yes. You're going to get a no. That's it. So he's going through this process of asking the Lord what to do. Yes or no. I guess the question is, should we go and join in this battle? Or should we wait here? Maybe that was the question he was asking. And so the priest is doing whatever he does with the ephod to get the answer. And then all of a sudden, Saul comes out with, withdraw your hand. In other words, quit it. I don't need you to be seeking after God. That's what he is saying. I, I know you started this thing to seek after the word from God. I don't need it. We're just going to go off here and, and do our own thing. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled and they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor and there was a very great confusion. Who has the swords? The Philistines. So the Philistines are taking their swords and using them against each other. 
this great multitude that would have produced fear. You've got a whole large group of people that are now fighting each other. So the fact that you didn't have any swords didn't matter. They have them and they'll use them. <laughs> Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So here's the whole battle again. Jonathan goes up, two guys, one sword. They're going to meet them up here. Twenty guys die. About. No one Jonathan, number was probably higher. But about 20 people died. Caused a panic in them. The earthquakes, they get scared. And they think the best thing for us to do right now is to kill each other. How, how do you do that? Don't fight against God. They start killing each other. So now, Saul says, well, look, let's just go into battle. There's glory out there. We're going to go get some. So he goes into battle to get the glory. And then other people who were hiding, they get, they go into battle too. Can you pull up my map, uh, the battle of, uh, the battle map again? So here we got, this is where Jonathan went. He went over into this area. Saul is here. He goes this way. So he's coming against this group that comes out this way. Uh, there's a group still that went up the, to the northern areas. You see the arrows that are up there? These are the people that were with the Philistines. Didn't want to be, but were with them. And when they saw the battle going this way, they decided to rise up and to fight them. And there were also other people who were hiding in caves and whatever else. And they got bold because the battle were winning. So they got bold and they come on out here. So they come after this group that's uh, on the retreat. Because this, re- this is the arm for, for retreat. This is where they're going to get out. And so they're, they're being hit that way. Um, verse 22, Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. So these are the things that had, had gone on for them that uh, God had brought about such a great, great battle. The, um, I think there was another verse. Oh yeah, I did pull that up. Okay, we'll get to that here in a minute. So, when we go into battle, we have to make sure that we are armed because even though they didn't have any arms, they did pick them up. So you have to have swords if you're going to go into close-knit battle. If you are going to battle the enemy, you don't need bows and arrows. You need a sword. You've got to have the Scripture. You've got to have something to stand on. You've got to know what that means. So many people I've heard, they come up and they just quote a verse of Scripture. Or what are you standing on for this? Would you, agree, would you agree with me and pray with me or whatever it is they say to do? And they'll just throw out a Scripture, but they don't have an understanding of it. They haven't gotten any kind of a rhema, spoken word, revelation knowledge of that verse. That verse is just a verse in the Bible. By his stripes, I'm healed. They just quote it. It's not a revelation. We have to get it so that that becomes a revelation because we keep staying in the Word. I keep going over that Word. I get good with that Word. I learn that Word. I believe that Word. And we have our sword and we have our spear to be able to do that. 
Sword is the, is the spoken word of God where we take the word of God and we speak that out. We say what God has said to us about the word of God. And the spears are the prayers. I don't have pleading and begging. That's not prayers. That's not a spear. That won't do any, any damage or any good to anything. Long range battle we are not equipped for. We're not here to be battling the things in the heavens. That's for the angels to do. I guess there's some prayer support we could do to help in that area. But your armament is for the battle down here on the ground. So the battle in the heavens is for angels. The battle, the battle on earth is for us. We need to take authority of the, of the enemy down here. And then there is a certainty in battle. We need to be certain in battle, not stupid. Saul was stupid. Jonathan was certain. Now let me show you something here. We, we took a look at Jonathan. Let me show you something that Saul did. In verse 24, And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. When do you think he said that? Because the Bible doesn't tell you. But it gives you a few clues. And if you keep on reading it here, you will find out that Jonathan did not know his father gave that command. He is the only one who doesn't know his father gave the command. And when they are going through the battle in the succeeding verses and they are helping to slaughter the Philistines, he sees some honey and he dips down into the honey and he eats some of it. And the rest of the people saw that. (gasps) And he says, what's the matter? And the people say, your father gave this oath that no one was supposed to eat anything until the enemies were were uh, taken taken uh, taken out. And Jonathan says this. Well, I'm going to paraphrase it just a little bit, but boy, that's a stupid thing to say. Look how much brighter my countenance is because I ate a little bit of food. How much more would the victory today be if we were all allowed to eat a little bit of food? But look at the command that he that Saul says. Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. With Jonathan, it was always our Israel. With his dad, it is I and my. He gives this command when he sees the victory already started and becomes bold and says, we're all going to go over there and clean this up. Nobody eats anything until I have taken vengeance over my enemies. And Jonathan's over there starting this battle and doesn't hear it. He says this after the battle is already gone. He says it as a coward who is sitting under a tree, not out there in the fight. It is real interesting to see what comes about because of that thing that had gone on. But we cannot get into that. I don't know when we'll get into Maybe we'll find another time and come back to this story and, and see, the, see the rest of it.
But what a guy Jonathan was. I mean, he's just not out for any glory in himself. I've got a sword that's not doing any good sitting here, me over here. Let's go over here to battle. And he knows that God can do it. And uh, there's this plan that was put in my heart. And that's what his servant says to him. Do whatever's in your heart. I'm with you. And so he says, all right, if they call us up there, then what's in my heart is in the plan of God. If they don't say that, then what's in my heart is just in my heart. It's just me. But if they say this, then I know. And they said it. And so they said, let's go. This has nothing to do with the fleece like Gideon did. Nothing, not, not even in the same ballpark with it. He goes up there and he starts this battle because 20 people, a small, insignificant number of the forces that were allied against them. But that small, insignificant number was able to cause a panic in the enemy to where they started slaying themselves. And we never even hear that the chariots were a problem. That the horsemen were an issue. And they go on through and they fight their enemies back. Then we can do the same thing. But we got to go out in the battles with the rhema word. Don't go out there. Be, don't be like Saul. Sit there on the hill under the tree complaining about what's going on and how things are so tough. You got to be like the Jonathan. I'm going to go out in the battle. I'm going to climb this hill on my hands and knees. And this is no insignificant hill. But I know my God has given me this, this battle. He had to work hard. That's why I wanted you to see that picture of the, of the hilly in that, that area. That was no easy climb. And then to start slaughtering people. At, I mean, a sword fight after you did all that climbing. Whew. But that's what he did. One of the great battles in Israel's history. And it was all started because two people decided to do something. They had followed the lead of Saul. Who knows where this would have gone? But it probably would not have been in a good place. But it went this way. Father, I thank you for examples. Guys like Jonathan. As Hebrew says, they were valiant in battle. Boy, is he an example of being valiant in battle. To go against such odds, so confidently, so assured that the victory was his. Help us, Father, to learn how to use the tools that you have put in our hands. I thank you for them. You've given us the word, and we need to become good with it. We need to become skilled with the word. And we can put back to flight the enemy with a sword that is in our hand. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.